for those wondering, yes, that does now mean that Christmas is officially over. Uh, yesterday, uh, Christmas is over. We're living in that lag where we still have our trees and wreaths. You won't see them next week. They'll be gone. But that's kind of the awesome thing about the way the church keeps time. And like, you know how tempting it is? Like our culture at large, like Christmas creeps up. So you're seeing these trees when there's like orange stuff and like pumpkins and ghoulish things in the stores. Well, like the church counter kind of does that on the, that creep kind of is on the back end where we're still doing Christmas. We should, we should have still been singing songs until yesterday, right? That's kind of the cool thing. And the great thing about Epiphany, this season that we're in, is a pretty short season, is it's still kind of like Christmas. Like it's like Christmas 2.0. Because if Christmas was the delivery of the gift, the baby Jesus, Epiphany is like the opening of that gift. Or the enjoyment, the playing with that gift, the sharing of that gift, the thank you note writing for the gift. So you see there's three main events in scripture that get associated with helping us celebrate this, this enlightening, this unveiling, this appearance, this epiphany. And so we'll focus on one in a minute. But, but I love that over the span of three years, you're probably going to get three different images uh, for epiphany. The first is the appearance of the Magi, and, and there's, there's this picture, I don't know how well you can see it, by a Chinese artist named Hei Qi, uh, who's really amazing. And if you uh, were raised in um, probably a Latino church, you would know about the visit of the Magi, because, right? Is that right, Carolina? Um, b- because you get to celebrate this bringing of gifts and, and this arrival of these foreign philosophers to the baby king. All that prophecy about the promises of God being blown wide open towards the whole of creation was now coming true. You see, like we get that image from like Isaiah 60 of all the kings come marching in. That's where we get our our Mardi Gras songs when the saints come marching in. That's happening as these kings are marching in to pay tribute with gold, frankincense, myrrh, pretty much the most expensive, rare and valuable kingly things that they could think to lay at this baby Jesus's feet they're bringing. The light is lightning in the words of Simeon. The gift is being received. The presence of God is being sensed and grasped and made room for. Another event often associated with Epiphany is the the wedding feast at Cana. There you go, Brian. (coughs) Jesus so famously here turns water into wine and Depending on your background here, this might be the most scandalous story ever. I love when you go to a Baptist wedding and the preacher talks about Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine or water into juice or something like that, right? Here we fast forward to the adult Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in John's Gospel, John 2. Jesus, that Jesus might even be in attendance at a wedding where there's like, dancing and drinking and all that sort of thing going on might scandalize some of us anyways, but the fact that he's trying to foot the bill (laughs) is maybe even more scandalous. The wedding feast at Cana reveals, it provides that aha epiphany moment as Jesus proceeds, albeit reluctantly, if if you go back and read that story, Mary's like, Jesus, wine. And he says, woman, what does that have to do with me? You know, 
he proceeds reluctantly with his first sign. And John is so good at this. He calls them signs, which is so such a proper epiphany way of looking at things. They're not miracles, they're signs because they reveal a little more and a little more about who God is in Jesus. That God's glory might be made manifest in the midst of strange and ordinary people and places. That salvation has come and the only proper response is to fill up all the jars that you have with whatever you have, rely on God's transformation, and pour a glass of better wine than you've ever tasted or imagined, have the faculties to appreciate or even ever deserved. Like, that's what should be happening because Christmas happened. And finally, the event that we'll focus on today, Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. I'll invite Sarah to come up, and she's going to read from both Psalm 29 and Mark's Good News Epiphany account of, the, of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. This is Psalm 29. You, divine beings, give to the Lord, give to the Lord glory and power. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bow down to the Lord in holy splendor. The Lord's voice is over the waters. The glorious God thunders. The Lord is over the mighty waters. The Lord's voice is strong. The Lord's voice is majestic. The Lord's voice breaks cedar trees. Yes, the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon jump around like a young bull, makes Syrian jump around like a young wild ox. The Lord's voice unleashes fiery flames. The Lord's voice shakes the wilderness. Yes, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The Lord's voice convulses the oaks, strips the forest bare. But in his temple, everyone shouts glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the floodwaters. The Lord sits enthroned, king forever. Let the Lord give strength to his people. Let the Lord bless his people with peace. And this is from the Gospel of Mark. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. When he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks, Sarah. This must have been some kind of spectacle, like a, like I almost look at it like a like a tent revival of sorts or something. Can't really imagine such a thing still happening, right? Did you get all these people coming out of the woodwork to make a public show out of their necessity to change their ways? That they'd strip down in public, naked, like in the South, it would be naked. They would strip down and bathe in a public body of water, letting their old ways wash downstream, and then they'd rise out emerging new. Can't help but think about that river baptism scene in Oh Brother Where Art Thou with all its like eccentricities and strangeness and awesome music, right? Go back and watch that. It's not really the same. But nowadays, I think we want more privacy, right? We want every head bowed and every eye closed, and then we'll like slip our hand up like, I want to change my life a little bit, but I don't want anyone else to know about it. We, we couldn't possibly flock to some eccentric backwoods, like wild-eyed preacher who was into local honey like way before it was cool, right? He keeps raving on and on. Like, he's not the one. We talked about his wild finger in Advent that he's just constantly pointing and pointing. And I don't even think he knows who he's pointing at. Someone who is stronger than him. Someone who would send him to the floor in adoration. So great that it'd make John less worthy than a slave to mess with his footwear. Like I think of the guy wearing the referee outfit at Foot Locker that, that's like changing your shoes with a shoehorn and stuff. Like not even that, you know. Uh, but note then, like more than a little bit of irony, when Jesus approaches John, John's doing this all call. Jesus approaches John and asks to take the plunge into the river where God's people had been led to the promised land. It is no normal little lake. This is the Jordan River. I wonder if the first epiphany happens right in this approach. There's that recognition in John of Jesus. You see, we're told in Luke's gospel that John, before he was John the Baptist, he was John the fetus in Elizabeth's belly, and he leapt in his mother's womb at the approach of his Aunt Mary. He knew something was, was happening. Even before Jesus was born, he knew something was happening. Someone strong was coming. He, it seems that he probably had the, the plot right all along, but he didn't even know that the climax would involve the cousin that he'd known before he was even born, right? So then the second irony comes with that scandalous comment that Jesus, fulfilling the role of the one stronger who'd baptized with the Holy Spirit, would be down to be dunked. Like this is, this is a completely scandalous moment. Not just his feet, but his whole self. John would, in fact, help Jesus remove his shoes even as he shared in his baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Think about that for a minute. We're a little too used to Jesus getting baptized. This has bothered scholars and readers of scripture for thousands of years. Why would Jesus get baptized? Why did he need to get baptized? Just how could someone without sin, claiming if not to be actually divine, um, Submit to a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't make sense. Why did he do it? Why would John let him do it? Why did he think, what, what did he think was going on? What did others think? 
These are the kind of questions, if you're reading well, open up Mark's Gospel and start reading. You should be asking these questions. Don't run away from these questions because it's in these questions that you kind of build a little like nest of kindling ready for the spark of epiphany to show up, right? You see, it's that key moment that, that, that the, big, the big thing happens. God's voice rends the clouds. The spirit descends like a dove. So at this moment, so many things are happening, like all these callbacks and echoes of huge movements of God in the history of God's people. This spirit dove descending over the waters as in creation, bringing form and goodness by God's voice over void and chaos. It's that spirit dove brooding over the waters after the flood when the whole new world would come about because of God's severe mercy and because of Noah's faithfulness. And then that voice, that voice. David wrote a whole song about that voice. Sarah read it earlier. That voice thunders from the Lord of glory and power. That voice calls over the waters. That voice is strong and majestic. In for as constructive as it is, don't think for a second that it's any less powerful than the most powerful hurricane, tornado, or bomb cyclone you've ever witnessed, right? This voice strips the bark off the mightiest cedars and oaks who've grown strong with deep roots. Any pretension that these beautiful fixtures of creation might have, this voice withers. Or Lebanon and Syrian they're secure in their culture, their accomplishments. They get tossed and turned over with none of the control or coordination that they so prized. This voice is brutally unconcerned with who you think you are or what you say you've done. This is the same voice that calls out to Job from the midst of the whirlwind and says, Job, I love you, but where were you when this world was created? Where were you when I made Leviathan? Where were you... When these canyons were cut, where were you? Because I was there. All because the Lord sits enthroned, king forever. And don't lose that this is a David song written by not only the king, but the one who folks hailed as Messiah, the Lord's anointed. So this is David at his best because this is David knowing exactly who he was and wasn't. This is the king writing a song about the real king. That's David at his best. Flashback then to the banks of Jordan and Mark's gospel. And it's this voice that rips open the heavens, tears them like a veil, like in two. Rips open the heaven. And the, the Greek word here is, is this like violent tearing. And instead of gale force winds, it's this voice that speaks the tender words of a parent to Jesus, telling him who he is. He says, you are my son, whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. This voice, voice that's stripping the bark off trees, says, you are my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Perhaps that's enough of an epiphany, a realization for you this morning, that that voice which you assume could only blister and disrupt is more than capable of also being the voice of comfort and care and tenderness and affection. 
I assure you that these voices are the same, that any power and glory that David song wrote came from the intimacy of being one after God's own heart. David knew both. So this is the message of Epiphany. I hope you don't miss it. This is the voice that has been calling out to each of us forever till forever, which some of us have heard and learned to mute. Some of us hear it only as a faint white noise in the background that we've determined is no longer all that interesting or relevant to us. And some of us have never heard or thought it was possible. The voice of the enthroned one calling out to Jesus and via Jesus calling out to us, you are my son, you are my daughter, I dearly love you, and in you I'm well pleased. This morning, that's what the voice is saying. You are my daughter, you are my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. That's why Jesus was baptized. Not for him, but for us. So that he could identify with us and and us with him. That we'd find him in those waters and that we'd hear that voice and, and that that voice would be directed to us. So much is made of the way that Jesus atones for us. Maybe you've heard that word. Maybe you haven't. That the, this, this word is actually a really cool like onomatopoeia type word because it, it means like atone means to make at one with something. Like to bring and reconcile and bring back. This is when our sin and the corruption of this world pull us away and send us away from God into exile. Perhaps you're familiar with the language of vicarious substitution. This is getting really fancy. That Jesus stands in our place as a substitute for what we deserve. But perhaps we should expand that idea. It's not a bad idea of vicarious substitution to include not just his death on the cross, but also his birth and his life and his baptism and his resurrection and his ascension, that Jesus came to stand exactly in our shoes and invites us to, by the Spirit to be swept up in him. That we might find our lives in him and then experience this epiphany that 2 Corinthians 5 can only use like really strange, awkward punctuation that if anyone is in Christ, new creation Period. Like, part of the new creation. And the big part of this springing new creation is being remade into the sons and daughters of God we've always been but have denied or forgotten. When that voice calls down to Jesus, it calls down to us. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And you make me divinely and eternally happy in exactly the same way Jesus does. Because Jesus was my son, whom I loved and knew before all time and creation, and he makes me happy, so you make me happy. Again, this is not new stuff, but perhaps you need to hear it anew today. That's how Epiphany works. It's not, it's not something brand new. It's reading that, that scripture for that hundred and one time and actually knowing what it means for you. It's it's hearing that I love you from a spouse for the nth time and, and actually being struck down by how amazing that is that someone would say that to you. It's the same thing with being welcomed to the table of a friend and that thing that you took for granted, realizing I don't know who I would be without a friend like this. Perhaps you need to hear this anew today.
Perhaps you need to find the same sort of epiphany as the younger lost son. Do you remember that story in Luke 15? He'd already had his fun. He already spent his trust fund and he was sick of hitchhiking and like slop shoveling and starving to death. So it says in Luke 15, uh, 17 through 19, but when he came to himself, and this is epiphany language, right? He, he had been going on the whole time, and then all of a sudden he comes to himself, not with new information, but with this movement. And he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's this trip into the far country. It's been said if there was ever a chance for us to come to ourselves that needed to be taken by the Son, by Jesus. That Jesus would go and be that far country traveler and then bring us back with him as we find ourselves in him. He had never not known his worthiness to be called a son, but he invites us to live into that sonship, into that child of Godness. We needed Jesus to come. We needed him, in the words of the Christmas hymn, to abide with us, our Lord and Emmanuel. We need him to lead us home through the liberating waters of baptism. And if you want to talk about baptism, please come talk to me about baptism. We will get you baptized at this church. And then into the joy of the Father, into this place you've already been. You just might not have even known about it. You forgot about it. And so it is this joy that we light candles about in Advent season that we sing Christmas carols and hymns about in Christmas season. This joy is so internal to the Epiphany season too. The first lesson is about joy. The scholar says to, to rejoice in the coming of Christ. It's not enough for Christ to have been born. We also have to perceive him. We need to put ourselves in these places for these epiphanies to pop, to perceive him as Savior and King. Otherwise, we won't rejoice, but we'll treat him with fear or disdain or indifference. So I pray for us all this morning that we'd be motivated in this new year. We start these new years so motivated. I'm praying this new year that we'd be motivated to seek this voice. This voice is going to be a dangerous voice. If Psalm 29 is true at all, it, this voice is serious stuff. The only way to do this, to seek a voice, is to listen. What might you have to do to listen to this voice in the new year? Maybe seek time in the Word. A good way to know what this voice is saying is, is to hear this voice. And you might get this you, you might get this a little wrong sometimes. Like I read something the other day, I thought it was kind of cool and applies to the way we read the Bible and interact and try to understand and pray for understanding. That uh, I read this thing that you should never um, get mad at someone or correct them if they pronounce a word wrong because it probably means they got that word from reading, right? Like uh, if, you, if you got that word from hearing it pronounced, you'll probably pronounce it at least the way you heard it if not correct, but like so, there's so many like fiction books that I've read that I have no idea to pronounce the protagonist's name, right? I've been reading it the entire time. I think that's how it is with listening to God's voice through his word, that you just start reading 
just open yourself up to those epiphany experiences, even if you don't really know what the pronunciation sounds like, that will work into you. There's a mustard seed group that's starting back, uh, <coughs> doing some um, Habakkuk reading. There's, I, I'll send out some psalm reading for this new year. That's a good way. Um, if if you if you don't lift weights, I, I would not like you can hurt yourself if you get back and and like go too hard too fast. So psalms are a way. If you haven't been in this, like we'll we'll, we'll ease you in there and we'll we'll help you start hearing this voice and we'll slowly turn the volume up. Maybe another thing, a way to hear this voice, to tend to this voice is silence. I mean, the best way to listen is to stop talking, right? This is basic stuff. It's a great way to realize your belovedness is to stop doing and just sit in those words. You're my son, you're my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. And to own that for yourself before you set to serving or doing or undoing. Just sit, be still, know that God is God. And also, maybe in this new year, seek time and fellowship with others. This could, this could be on a small scale and like pairs or triads or in a bigger group. Because I hate to break it with you that not even Jesus was an only child, right? So it's great to, to celebrate and learn about your belovedness as a child of God. And while alone time with your parents is in some cases a luxury, but probably a necessity and it's really beautiful, the ability to encourage and to grow as siblings in Christ is something that will grow your like life of faith in the faith of others more than you could ever anticipate. And I think it's there that epiphany will happen. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you for the ways that you'd crack open the heavens and send your spirit like a dove to speak words of blessing over us. Help us know who we are in you because of who Christ is and what the spirit's making us. Lord, so many of us need to um, come to ourselves and come back to you. So many of us um, need to listen for your voice and, and actually do what you're telling us to do and be who you're saying we are. Uh, we thank you that you're relentless like a father. Uh, a father who's going to run to us not make us come all the way back to you. Thank you that you are full of glory in power and majestic in that glory and power and majesty don't keep us from you but give you the resources to come to us uh, lord open our eyes this week open our ears open our hands to your work in our lives we thank you we pray all this in jesus name amen